to have uh, Karen Snuffer with us. She is the Executive Director of CareNet, which has a very, very vital ministry in our area to both men and women in crisis pregnancies. She's very passionate about this ministry and uh, has some uh, personal stories to tell as well. So uh, in just a moment, she'll come. It's a real honor to be with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Ohm, for inviting me to share about CareNet Pregnancy Resource Centers. I've I've been privileged to be the executive director now. I'm in my eighth year. It's kind of amazing to me. Um, talk about God uh, equipping the one that's the most ill-equipped to do the job, but it, it really has been um, a blessing and an honor to serve as executive director of CareNet Pregnancy Resource Centers. And I thank this church. I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for being a supporting church of CareNet Pregnancy Resource Centers because truly without you, we could not minister to the men and women that God brings to our centers. And many of them, as you can see, there's a variety of clients that come to CareNet Pregnancy Resource Centers. Some just come for help and support. Uh, little Sarah was a surprise to her mother. She was very, they were very happy about the pregnancy, but they didn't know the baby had Down syndrome. She didn't know until she had the baby. And she, they were devastated. They had no, no resources, uh, nowhere to go to help them. And so they came to us, and we were able to supply them with a support group uh, for Annabella and her husband. Um, they already had had three kids, and uh, very, very uh, typical in the Spanish culture, they considered themselves married. But because they came to Kuna Pregnancy Resource Centers, we talked to them about God's, what God meant in marriage. And they ended up getting married. And um, her husband ended up going through uh, uh, recovery and had support through his male mentor at CareNet Pregnancy Resource Centers. And then for Lourdes, sweet Lourdes, uh, that's our adopted grandchild. Um, what an amazing story. And right now, Lourdes is at Lord Fairfax, and um, she is training to be a nurse. And so we're very, very excited about the opportunities. God gives us so much more than just the opportunity to help them uh, through their crisis pregnancy. It has become so, so much more. Our ministry has grown and expanded. Uh, as most of you know, we used to be right down on Plantation Lane, but we're no longer there. We're now off of Stonewall. We have a medical clinic, and uh, we were offering ultrasound every other Thursday night. But now we're offering ultrasound um, 24 hours a week through our Manassas Center. We have a nurse sonographer that's on staff, and the ultrasound is absolutely, positively amazing. So we're very excited to have it. it uh, I always say, aside from the gospel, that's our most a powerful tool that we have to share with our clients. And it's especially um, helpful for the young men that come to see us. And we have a whole new men's ministry since I've seen you. Um, now we have men ministering to men. And it's, it's a huge, huge part of our ministry now. It's essential. I don't know if you're aware. I wasn't aware. But 97% of women who are on, in unplanned pregnancies say that if the father of the baby will come alongside of them in any way, that they will choose life for their baby. So having the men there, and most of these young men don't, haven't had a father. Many of them have not. They don't know that they, they should have a part of this because the world tells them it's her body, it's her choice. It's none of your business. And so we have male mentors come alongside of them, share the gospel with them, 
and share the message that God, God created them to be the protector and the provider and the priest of their home. And so we can help them through our Dad University program to step up to the plate. Last year, I said sharing the gospel really is the most important thing that we do. And we shared the gospel 483 times with clients last year. And 50 made a commitment to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I was looking at statistics, and we see people, we see Muslims, people uh, from the Islamic faith, the Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, Hindus, Baptists, a lot of atheists. And sadly, a lot of professing Christians that come to us that are having sex outside of marriage. So God gives us a wonderful opportunity. We have a lot of spiritual. We had 820 spiritual discussions, which is about the Lord. And through all of our free programs and services, we're always integrating uh, the word, the truth in God's word. What is marriage? What's a healthy relationship? Sex was meant in the context of marriage. Um, and we're seeing all kinds of repercussions because uh, these young men and women are having sex outside of marriage. And so we're there to share the truth with them, not only the options, but to share the truth in love. Uh, just to give you, uh, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I just want to share with you um, about what some of our goals are object and objectives are. We now have ultrasound in our Warrington Center as well. So we have two locations. We're two-thirds of the way there with ultrasound. Uh, we're working on our Woodbridge Center now. We're looking for a larger facility. They've outgrown that facility. We're training our staff and volunteers there. When you go medical, there's a whole lot of compliances, all kinds of things, OSHA, HIPAA, uh, you name it. We've got to comply with it. So we're training up our staff there. We're looking for medical assistance. We need medical personnel for that center. And, of course, we need to raise about $170,000 to $180,000 uh, to get us there. But I know that God will bring that in, and I know that he has the place for us. The other initiative we have is our college initiative. And we are now out on the college, local college campuses here. We are trying to train and recruit some college students from our congregations because they don't want to look at my face. They're scared to come up to an old lady behind the display. Uh, but if we can train and equip some college students who can share about healthy relationships, who can share information about STDs and STIs and that sort of thing, and if we can gain the trust on the college campus because that population is the most vulnerable to abortion, then we have a great opportunity there. And we believe our next medical move will be to offer STD and STI, not only testing, but also treatment through our centers as a preventive measure. So we really want to reach that demographic out there. Um, our ministry is dedicated. We are dedicated to honoring God, to glorifying him, um, to share the truth with those who are in darkness, and also the hope of Jesus Christ. We believe God has a plan and a purpose for every single client that he brings to us in Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, to give them a hope and a future. So if you're interested in our ministry, we have tons of volunteer opportunities. I don't have time to go into them this morning, but it's, it's an exciting place to work. It's a great place to work. We're seeing people from all nations, tribes, and tongues there, so we get it. We really are a local missionary here. We'd love to have you a part of it, and also invite you to walk for life on April 25th. There's a little flyer in your um, bulletin, and I hope you'll come and support the ministry. Thank you again, and God bless you.
she sits back down, I just want to pray for her and for their ministry. Would you pray with me? Father, I just lift up Karen and, and her staff and, and volunteers. Uh, Lord, it's uh, just very powerful uh, thing that you're doing through the CareNet Pregnancy Resource Centers. And uh, we lift them up in, in, um, in praise and thanks for what they've already done, but also in anticipation of what you have in mind to do, Father. And uh, we're grateful that you've given that vision uh, to Karen and others and that they are pursuing that. We pray that you would guide them step by step, that you would enable and to empower them, resource them, Father, uh, to be able to, to uh, reach so many more people for you. And uh, may that gift of life that, that you gave first um, become known. May the truth be known. And may uh, they be that light in the darkness that they need to be. And we pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. What is the value of a person's life? What is the value? What is a person worth? If we took a human body and we just put a value on the chemicals and the elements contained in it, it'd be worth a few dollars. <laughs> That's it. However, if you knew that, that person was about ready to die and the opportunity was there in order to preserve some of their vital organs and share them with others so that they could continue living, how much more value would there be now to their physical bodies, to, to those vital organs, their kidneys, liver, heart, lungs, etc.? Well, now it would be astronomically greater, wouldn't it? Because now there would be tens of thousands of dollars that would maybe be paid by someone in order to save their lives. Well, I want you to know something this morning that is even more valuable about each person. And it has nothing to do with their physical body. It has to do rather with their spirit. That what makes us far more valuable than the amazing organs that comprise our physical bodies, or even the abilities of the human body, what it can do, and even to heal itself and so on, is our spirit, is our soul. We are living souls that are made in the image of God. And that sets us apart from all other creatures on this earth. Now, I know I won't make myself uh, uh, really favorable to those that are cat and dog lovers, but there is no evidence that cats and dogs have an eternal soul. I'm really sorry to, to tell you that. <laughs> but humans do. And what sets us apart is that soul. What sets us apart is that eternal uh, life. That when we are created, we are created as a soul. We inhabit a body, but what continues even after the body dies is that living soul. And what's more, our souls are coupled with or, or uh, put together with something else that's very valuable, and that's our will. That's, that's our free will that we can choose what to do, whether to do good or to do evil. What goes on into eternity is our soul. And the great responsibility, the great burden that we bear, is that when we make our choice between good and evil, between God and not God, it is an eternal choice. And so the miracle of procreation when a child is conceived, however that child is conceived, there are many, many circumstances for that. The miracle of that child being conceived, being created, is not that a man and woman could reproduce their kind. Because all creatures do that. 
but that somehow God allows us to participate in the creation of another eternal soul. He alone is the giver of life, but he gives us the privilege and the responsibility of starting another life, an eternal life. Now why do I bring all of that up today? Why is that important? Because we live in a world where life is cheap, where there's not that appreciation for the fact that we're not just tissue and bone and blood and, and all, that we are eternal souls. And that life that we have that is eternal life is what makes us valuable. And there is a huge difference then between how the world views life and how God views life. Because God is looking at a bigger picture. We live in a world where the human life is devalued, where it's discounted, so much so that many lives are snuffed out with little or no thought. Lives are considered expendable and, and of no consequence by far too many people. Many people believe that we are of no more value than all the other animals in the world. And so you have people that are you know, doing all kinds of things to protect the whales and to protect all these species of different types because they have the same value as humans. And yet, where's the group that's protecting human life? Where's the group that's raising millions of dollars for that? We know that we are living souls, eternal souls, and we know it because God told us. And we know that there is more to life than the 70 or 80 years that we may live on this planet. Our life here is but a proving ground for the life that is to come. Now, when Moses knew that he was about to die, Moses, who had been chosen by God to lead the people of Israel, he has led them now for many, many years. They've gone through the wilderness experience for 40 years, and now they're getting ready to finally step into the promised land and to to possess the land that he had promised Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years before. And Moses is not allowed to go in. And God says, you're going to die before you go in. And so he brings all the people together, and he gives them his final words of wisdom and encouragement. He told them that they had a big decision to make. And in Deuteronomy 30, he speaks to them. Look at Deuteronomy 30 with me. Moses said, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, he says, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Moses was saying, I'm going to put something before you. It's not too difficult. Any one of you could understand it. Children, teens, adults can all understand this. You don't have to go anywhere to get special wisdom for this. And I'm going to put a choice before you today that is very plain, very simple, and a choice that we must all make. How will we live? How will we treat God? And how will we treat other people? He goes on. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. 
But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess. How appropriate Moses' words are for those of us here this morning as we think about living in a world where life is cheap. If we love and obey God, we will be blessed. But if we worship the gods of this world, we will be cursed. Verse 19, this day, Moses said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have sent before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let me ask you, those of you who went through the story with us last year, you went through the whole Bible, we saw all of this previously, did the Israelites choose life? He put the question to them, he said, you must decide, choose life. Did they choose life? Did they choose to love God? Did they choose to obey God? Well, they followed Joshua, the successor of Moses, crossed the Jordan River, and they made good that they would possess the land, that they took possession of the land from the nations that had lived there for centuries. But what happened next? After they possessed the land, they allowed some of those people to stay there, didn't they? They allowed some of the people to keep on living there. And these were very pagan people, people so far from God, they had no idea what truth was. They no, had no idea what life was. And they began following the ways of the people of this world. Living in a world where life is cheap, they just accepted that. And they embraced that and became part of it. They began imitating the ways of the world. They accepted the ungodly, yes, the very godless ways of the world around them. This is a land where they lived by the rule survival of the fittest. This is where they, they lived by dog-eat-dog. Easy come, easy go. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. All these ways of just life is cheap, life is futile. Just grab what you can for as long as you can because it soon will be over. Godless people around them worshipped false gods, gods that were not gods at all. Their lifeless religions commanded them to forget about all the laws and moral codes of God. Don't have to worry about that stuff. Live as you want to. At their shrines, the worshippers engaged in sex with both priests and priestesses with the full knowledge and consent of their wives and husbands. Nobody cared about marriage. At their shrines, they sacrificed their children as ritual offerings by throwing them into the altar fires because they thought by that doing that they would gain the gods or goddesses' favor. And what was behind all of that? False promise of wealth and health and prosperity. They were told that if they had no regard for the lives of other people, then they would achieve wealth and prosperity for themselves for whatever few years on earth they may have. You may say, well, I'm so glad that we're beyond that today. I'm glad we're beyond all that gruesome, barbaric behavior today. I'm glad that we don't throw our children into the fire. We don't commit those gross sexual sins like the people of old. But are we really that different 
today? Have we really come that far? Do we not have just as much brutality in our world? In country after war-torn country, do we not see an attitude of survival of the fittest? Do we not see that whoever has the biggest army, the greatest weapons, can do whatever they want to do? Do we not see terrorism acting with no regard for life whatsoever? Life is cheap. Life is expendable. Many places in this world. And if we think we're above that, all we have to do is look for a little while to see a total disregard for God's laws, God's moral laws. Do not many people, in fact, believe that sexual intimacy doesn't have to be saved for a man and woman, or saved for a man and woman married to each other for life and brutality? Can we escape that charge? Hardly. Talk to Karen Snuffer about it. Do we not remember that over 4,000 babies on average are aborted in America every day of every year? Most of them because they are unwanted pregnancies that would cause their parents some kind of hardship. And to avoid that hardship, they abort this child. Whatever reason for that child's conception. Do we not see that often the reason for this behavior, all these behaviors, is that somehow if we would just live that way, we are falsely promised health, wealth, and prosperity, or at least as much happiness as we could for whatever few years on earth we may have. In this world, life is cheap. Life is expendable. Life is not valued as God values it. And if you don't see this in these things, look at another other things. Think of the robber that goes into the convenience store and ends up shooting the clerk, killing that clerk in cold blood for a few dollars in the cash drawer. Think of the woman that is dragged from a sidewalk as she's jogging and sexually assaulted by a man who doesn't even know who she is. Think of the enraged driver who pulls a gun on another driver because he cut him off in traffic. Think of the mother who walks out on her husband and children because she wants to be free to party with her friends. Or the father who has a casual affair with his co-worker and never stops to consider the damage and heartache his actions will cause his wife and children. Life is cheap. It's everywhere. How are we to live in such a world? How are we to influence such a world where life is cheap? Are we to wield our influence through political rallies and tea parties and getting the vote out to the polls? Maybe. Are we to influence this world by calling or writing our legislators and using any other political influence? We can. Maybe. Can we change our culture through new laws and regulations and, and maybe a victory or two at the Supreme Court level? Maybe. What do you think? How are we to impact and influence this world when life is so cheap? And we may differ on a lot of these things, a lot of these methodologies, a lot of these efforts. But I can tell you one thing that you and I can do, every one of us can do, doesn't matter whether you have any political clout or any awareness or not. Every one of us can do something that will definitely make a difference, a huge difference in this world. And it's how you and I treat each person that God brings into contact with us. Our greatest impact is a very personal impact. Do we treat those people with dignity and with respect, simply because of the value God has placed on them, that they are an eternal soul made in the image of God. 
And they have eternal value. They may not look like much. They may not smell like much. They may not have anything to offer you. They may have only pain and, and a lot of effort to offer you in your life. But how do you respond? Do we do what is right by them? Do we love them? Do we serve them in God's love? Do we give them value by recognizing the value God has already given them? We can. In fact, we must. Whether the person we help is a little baby not yet born, or a forgotten elderly person in a nursing home somewhere, we must. Whether it's a child that is being abused by someone they should be able to trust, or maybe a teacher, a teenager that is shunned because they have made one mistake too many, and somebody says they're not worth redeeming anymore. Just forget about it. We must. We must show them dignity and love and value them. Whether it's our neighbor or our co-worker who is at the end of their rope, or a complete stranger who feels invisible to everyone on the street, but you or me, we must. Lately, I've been reading a new biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer by Eric Metaxas. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few people in Germany who fought against the drastic and horrifying changes coming to Germany as a result of Adolf Hitler's rise to power. He saw the madness coming. He saw what was going to happen in just a few short years. It ended up being a few short months. He saw what was coming, and yet many of his fellow Germans did not. They welcomed Hitler as some kind of a savior, some kind of a, a person that would make Germany powerful again. And most of the Christians of Germany did not understand the seriousness of the changes that were coming to Germany until it was too late. They sat on the sidelines, saying nothing while their country was going to hell in a handbasket. Big changes are happening in America too, are they not? Are we just as blind, just as oblivious, just as silent? Michael Blankenship said this, he warns us, he says, we must not like, be like the Christians of Germany who found out far too late that the people of God cannot disengage themselves from the world in which they live. We cannot resign ourselves to live comfortably in our ornate sanctuary sleeping while Satan walks about seeking to destroy our children and friends. We cannot continue to sit on our padded pews while our backsides sleep and while sin rages and destroys lives around us. We cannot continue to be a chameleon church blending in and not setting ourselves apart while the world around us methodically marches toward hell. Personal touch. Personal value. Personal effort, personal service, personal love is what will change, what will influence. As I close, let me share the testimony of an elderly man named Park York. This is what he wrote. I rise early on this Friday, as I do every Friday, to prepare coffee and mix a protein shake. The television news plays quietly in the corner. Flossie, my wife, is still asleep. Sometime after eight, she begins floating out of slumber. I bring the shake to her bedside, put the straw in her mouth, and give her cheek a little pat as she begins to drink. Slowly, the liquid recedes. I sit there holding the glass, 
thinking about the past eight years. At first, she asked only an occasional incoherent or irrelevant question. Otherwise, she was normal. I tried for two years to find out what was wrong. She grew agitated, restless, defensive. She was constantly tired and unable to hold a conversation. At last, a neurologist diagnosed Alzheimer's disease. He said he wasn't sure. A firm diagnosis could come only from examining brain tissue after death. There is no known cause for this malady, no known cure. I enrolled Flossie in a daycare center for adults, but she kept wandering off the property. We medicated her to keep her calm. Perhaps from receiving too much of one drug, she suffered a violent seizure that left her immeasurably worse, lethargic, incontinent, unable to speak clearly or care for herself. My anguish gradually became resignation. I gave up all plans of retirement, travel, recreation, visits to see grandchildren, all the golden era things that older people dream about. The years have passed, and my days have become routine, demanding, lonely, seemingly without accomplishment to measure. Flossie has gradually dropped in strength and weight from 125 pounds to 86. I take some time to work with a support group and to attend church, but the daily needs... Keep me feeding, bathing, diapering, changing beds, cleaning house, fixing meals, dressing and undressing her, and doing whatever else a nurse and homemaker does morning to night. Occasionally, a word bubbles up from the muddled processes of Flossie's diseased brain. Sometimes relevant, sometimes the word is the name of a family member, the name of an object, just a single word. On this Friday morning, after she finishes her shake, I give her some apple juice then massage her arms and caress her forehead and cheeks. Most of the time her eyes are closed, but today she looks up at me, and suddenly her mouth forms four words in a row. Do you want me? Perfect enunciation, softly spoken. I want to jump for joy. Of course I want you, Flossie. I say, hugging and, and, and kissing her, and so after months of total silence, she has put together the most sincere question a human being can ask. Do you want me? She speaks in a way for people everywhere. Those shackled by sin and addiction and hunger and thirst and mental illness and physical pain, frightened, enervated people, afraid of the answer, but desperate enough to frame the question anyway. And Flossie, I can answer you, even more specifically, it may be difficult for you to understand what's happening, but that's why I'm here, to minister God's love to you, to bring you wholeness, comfort, release. Mine are the hands God uses to do His work, just as He uses others' hands in other places. In spite of our shortcomings, we strive to make people free, well, and happy, blessing them with hope for the future while bringing protein shakes every morning can make a difference. We can make a difference by loving and valuing the people around us. Personally, one-on-one, let's do it. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your love. Thank you for coming down to us as Jesus. I thank you for the difference that he's made in our lives. And you personally showed us the value that you put on us. And I pray for everyone here today, Father, that, that we would rise to that occasion to show to the people around us your love, the value that you place on them. 
whether it's a crisis pregnancy or some other uh, crisis in their lives, we pray that they would understand that you love them, that you care for them, that you want them to have life. And not only this life, but the life eternal. We thank you for Karen and her staff and so many others that give up their time and energy. We pray for your blessing on us. That we would live in a world where life is cheap, but not live cheaply. That we would live in your value, and that we would share the value given us. So that others would know their value in your eyes. Bless us with your love, empower us with your grace. Give us boldness, give us confidence, give us courage. And may we reach out to the people around us with your love. In Jesus' name.